sorry, 13 years ago when we started, I would say like a Pacific Northwest IPA was much more malty, much less aromatic hops, maybe a little bit more bitter. And as it's changed over the years, people are wanting more of a, a light colored, like straw colored IPA and a lot more aromatics. So what we do is we do a lot less early hop additions um, on our, our boil, a ton of late hop additions on our boil. That was Chris Nemlo Will describing the evolution of Northwest IPAs. Stretching the bounds of the Wet Fly Swing podcast today on the Fly Fishing Show. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Make sure to click subscribe in your app of choice or at the website if you get a chance. Uh, we also have a newsletter there if you want to get updated each week when we have new things going on. Join uh, join the new uh, the newsletter right in the sidebar. Super, super easy to get started. Uh, Chris Nemlo Will, founder of Fort George Brewing, is on the show to share the story of how he created one of the best Northwest IPAs in the country. We find out how the Vortex IPA got its name as they were driving across the country with their brewing trailer uh, and got caught up in a tornado, uh, barely surviving. Uh, Tons of great stories today, including how Chris started from um, basically knowing nothing about beer and just uh, jumping in at Bill's and learning uh, as he went. So uh, this is a really awesome one. Not exactly the fly fishing uh, show you're expecting, but um, but is Paw for sure one of the greatest podcasts ever. No question about it. So without further ado, here is Chris from FortGeorgeBrewery.com. How's it going, Chris? It's going good. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to put this together. I've got some uh, a few questions to dig in here on beer, which is going to be which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, before we get into some of the background uh, as far as what you're brewing these days, can you just talk about how it's interesting with Fort George? It's uh, I've been there a number of times, and it's uh, it's one of the I'd call it one of the flagship breweries now. But talk about how you first got into brewing and how you brought that into Fort George. Well, um, I started off home brewing actually in my parents' basement um, when I was finishing up uh, college. I went to Southern Oregon University down in Ashland, and I was I graduated in spring of 2003. And a couple days after I graduated, um, my grandma was headed to a family reunion, and she uh, stopped for lunch. She was at a restaurant, and as she was leaving. She uh, somebody's chair was out or something and she kind of just hooked it and uh she unfortunately she fell over and broke her hip and oh, wow. i was i was because i just graduated from college i was like the only family member that could go take care of her um get her back into her house so i uh went down kind of volunteered to help grandma out went down and uh help get her back into her house and i was down there for a couple weeks and i didn't have a whole lot to do and i always um, when I was going to uh, Southern Oregon University, I thought you know, it was pretty cool what Caldera was doing. Um, and I, I thought, man, I, I really want to learn how to brew beer. And I was actually signed up to do an internship that summer um, at a big tech company. Uh, and I read while I was while I was down in Concord, California with my grandma, I read like six different books on how to homebrew beer. And about a week out into it, I called my mom and said, Mom, I, uh, I think I don't want to go do this internship. I, uh, I know I just got done college. I got a, a degree in marketing and computer science. Um, but, uh, 
I just, I think I want to be a brewer. I want to learn how to brew beer. I think that would be just like the coolest job to, to I mean, every, everybody's going to love a guy who can brew beer yep. and get you beer. So, um, and it just sounded really fun. And I, something I really felt like we needed in, uh, in that story was a really good, uh, brew pub. We didn't, um, when actually when I was 18, I was, uh, I got the chance to go to a, a wedding of a family member in Germany and I got to kind of see their culture over there and how the breweries were like a community gathering place. And it wasn't, it wasn't like the bars that we had at the time, you know, in Astoria, a lot of them were, it was yeah. kind of, you know, the, it would be a darker place. You know, they would, you didn't have the windows open. You weren't really showing off that you're at the bars. Uh, when I was growing up in Astoria, it was actually kind of, Astoria was a pretty rough place, like in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really felt like it would be super cool if we had this community gathering place that was a cool brewery. And, uh, but, but my mom's like, really, that's what you want to do. I think she was, you know, hoping that uh, I was going to continue on, on my path, but she was super supportive. She said, all right, sure. Go, go for it. Um, I, uh, so I, I moved back into my parents' basement uh, a few weeks after graduating from college and uh, went to a place up in Portland called Let's Brew, bought some home brewing equipment uh, and, and just got a bunch of kits on or a different, um, different grains, mm-hmm. uh, everything to start home brewing. And a friend of mine and I just brewed as much as we could that summer. And uh, I was a barista at the time, so I would uh, I was home brewing, and then I then I would take the beer that I was brewing at home to my coffee job, and I was like, "All right, here's your americano," <laughs> and I, I just like every day I would show up with a couple of cases of beer, and I would just hand it away. So here's your americano, here's your amber wheat ale, here's nice. you know, oh you're here you're in the mochas here. I want you to try this Russian imperial stout, and just kind of gave away beer that summer, and then I um. I signed up for a study abroad program in the Netherlands because I felt like, hey, I want to go back to Europe and I want to learn. I just want to see more about that culture and and learn more. And so I went over there and uh, signed up for some some international marketing classes that fortunately just happened to be I got all my classes on Mondays and Tuesdays. And the rest of the week I went to beer events, to breweries and uh had an amazing time for six months and everybody, I, I would go into a brewery and say, Hey, I'm, I'm an American home brewer. You mind if I you know, see what you're doing? And, uh, it, everybody was really open. That's one thing that's really fun about the, the industry is craft brewers are really pretty open with their knowledge. Like you can, as a brewer or a home brewer, you can walk into a brewery and say, Hey, I just, I really love this beer. Like, you know, what kind of hops do you use in it or what kind of grain? And, the majority of the time they're pretty open with their knowledge. And, uh, so I did that for six months and then, uh, came back to Astoria and there was the guy that was making the best beer that I had had, um, was his name was Jack Harris and he was, uh, the head brewer at Bill's Tavern in Cannon beach. And he, uh, I went and I took some of the beer that I had brewed at home the summer before. I felt like my next step was I needed to, to go work for somebody who was a great brewer and mm-hmm. uh i took i, I found like it's kind of this magic window when bills wasn't too busy about 3 30 in the afternoon took uh some of my beer in and said hey i was just wondering if i could talk to your head brewer jack harris and um he was he was in this uh it, have you ever been to bill's tavern oh yeah yeah a bunch of times it's a cool cool spot yeah, so it. uh it's a two two level brewery down below there's um some conditioning tanks and he was in there and he was hand bottling up some 22 ounce bottles and uh 
And I think he had had a lot of homebrewers bring him beer, but I don't think he had too many people just come in and say, Hey, I just want to come work for you for free. I'll do whatever it takes. And, uh, took him some beer and I just had really good timing. Um, he, uh, he was about to become a, a dad and he needed an assistant brewer and he talked to his bosses and they called me the next day and said, Hey, we like your, your ambition. And, um, if you want to come work, uh, we'll, we'll pay it to be Jack's assistant brewer and you can, we'll, we'll teach you how to brew beer. And so I took that job. Um, and we, uh, we actually had a really good year that year at Bill's Tavern. We've, we won, um, they won gold medal for duck dive pale ale at the great American beer festival, which is a, a huge honor. And then, um, about two weeks later, I got offered a head brewer job back in Astoria at the Astoria Brewing Company. And it was, I just felt like this next opportunity for me. And um, so I took that, worked up there for nine months, got to develop some some new beers. They had a, um, a contract brewer in there before me, and they really wanted to kind of have somebody who lived in Astoria or lived around Astoria who would, who would at the end of the day, could have a beer at the bar and talk to customers about beer and I did that for uh, nine months. Um, that was a great opportunity. And then uh, in uh, October 2005, um, I was introduced to uh, Robert Strickland, this the gentleman who bought the old level Chevrolet dealership block. And he was really excited about um, maybe putting in a, a bakery and a brew pub in old Fort George building. And um, I went and looked at it and uh, – called jack the next day i knew he was jack was living in astoria and he was commuting down to cannon beach and uh i knew that you know that commute might get a little bit old after multiple years and i i said hey i want to show you something um will you meet me down at the the old fort george building and he came down and he was just kind of like what are you trying to show me because they're half the windows were broken out it was actually a backdrop for ring two it was just, it was, it was creepy. There was a, uh, you know, it was in rough shape. Half the windows were broken out. There was pigeons living in there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I, we kind of fell in love with those big old growth dug fur beams. And, um, about, you know, after talking about it for about an hour, we had decided, um, be a great spot to start a brew pub. That's yeah, that's cool. Man. There's a ton of things that, that I'd love to dig into on, uh, you know, some of the history there, I guess the one thing I was going to note, um, you know, I, I wanted to get into Fort George because I'm just curious about the name, uh, a little bit of history there. But on the older buildings, you know, I always think of, because it's my experience, uh, you know, McMinimans, right? The Edgefield, that whole thing. They were one of the, I'm not sure if they were the first ones, but I remember that place they bought up the Edgefield when I was a kid. It was all boarded up. And, uh, like, there was some weird stuff going on. And it used to be, I think it used to be an insane asylum and stuff like that. But they came through and refurbished it and, and made it the edge field. And they were doing a lot of that stuff. But it seems like a lot of people are doing that. Is that something that started um, back, you know, with them? Or, or is that just something that you've seen all over the place? Even like you were in Europe, right? Were people doing that sort of thing over there as well? Well, it's interesting is uh, like before, before Prohibition, you know, even in the United States, people before, like the first thing that they would do when they founded the town is they would like, build a brewery, hmm. build a community gathering spot, and then they kind of build the town around it. And that's oh, right. uh, the way that Europe was a lot too. But um, I do think that there, 
there's just this really incredible character. The, the cool thing about the Fort George is people ask us, you know, who did we use to design things inside? Yeah. Just like it was, man, that, that era, people just built cool stuff that Art Deco um, design is yeah. so cool. But they had just massive beams back then. It's just incredible the size of uh, the timbers that they were working huh. with. So I think, um, uh, I, I do think that there's definitely been that the, the, over the years there was, there's just not a whole lot of evolution of use for these buildings, especially like old dealerships, coffee dealerships, because people wanted to get out of town and they wanted to have a lot of room with a lot of selection. And so it left this void downtown. And I think like the level building, um, people, it was really hard to find something else to go into that building. Cause there wasn't a whole oh. lot of uses. Yep. Um, we even just kind of ran into an issue with the level building because uh, it was we were just we've gotten to the point where it just is it's a very difficult building to to brew in because it was it was built to you know it was designed as a car dealership, um, but to having those big open spaces like when we first moved in there, the level building had eight thousand square feet of of flat space, um, mm-hmm. really well reinforced floors, so we could put a brewery in there. It was a All pretty right. perfect building for that. Yeah, yeah. So and I guess that uh, you can it's 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 good. You can you can make most most buildings uh, into a brewery. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's uh, so maybe just describe just just kind of quickly for somebody who maybe hasn't been there when they walk up to the building and then go inside. What what can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's an interesting time right now with with COVID. Oh but, right. Um, originally we started off with downstairs we just started off leasing 2900 square feet uh so that's that's the original pub and i'm really hoping that in the next few months we get to open things back up to um the direction uh that that they were so um so downstairs is the original pub uh it's more uh, of a place you know you can you can see the original brewery in the back um, but then upstairs, we've got a wood-fired oven. So there's, oh, there's a second floor of the main Fort George building. Uh, second floor has got a wood-fired oven, really nice views, really cool bar, cool place to hang out. And then um, there's a courtyard in the center of the block. And that's currently, that's where people are sitting outside having beers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had tre- a tremendous amount of support all winter long as the pubs have been closed down, people coming out and having a beer in the courtyard. So that's been a really good spot for us to have. And then there's the Lovell building, which is the biggest building on the block. And that is where we, we had our production brewery. We actually just moved our production brewery out of there down to an old canning building on the waterfront in Astoria. Oh, wow. And we're planning on getting a, an experimental brewery. Uh, it's, we're going to do a lot of oak fermentation, experimental IPAs. We're going to put a smaller canning line back in there, kind of like our original canning line, and uh, be able to make a bunch of variety of just beer. As we've mm-hmm. grown, we the last couple of years, we've had a hard time cranking out the variety that we originally had just because we just couldn't make enough beer. And a lot of it is driven by Vortex IPA. It is uh, – it's it's been a it's just a beast. People like drinking mm. Vortex. It's uh it's kind of a unicorn in the brewing industry because it it's not typical that one brand of beer will continue to grow for thirteen years. It's been growing for thirteen years. Wow, and well, in popularity. Why 
uh, on the vortex. I guess first, maybe mm-hmm. quickly, what's the? How did you come up with the name? And then also, why do you think it's kind of the unicorn? I mean, it does taste. I know it's it's a good tasting beer. Can you just bring it back to that? That it's just a, da- a good tasting beer. All right. I think it's time. Even though it's a little early in the morning, I typically try to wait until at least noon before I drink a vortex. But I'm oh, gonna no, crack, crack one open. All right. All right. Crack one open. <laughs> So we originally got our brewery, um, our, our original brewing system is from Virginia Beach, Virginia. So when we um, decided we were going to start a brew pub in the Fort George building, we, we kind of figured out the space where we wanted the brewery. And then we, 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 we started off with nothing. So we've always used, used brewing equipment. Um, so our original system... Uh, there was a German gentleman who bought a uh, a brew house built by Saws Brewing Company, which uh, if anybody has ever had Two Hearted, um, Bell's Brewing Company in the Midwest, make awesome beer. Um, John Mallet, their head brewer, designed, he built like 12 systems, and this is number two of 12 breweries. Uh, it's really, really cool brew house. A German guy had, had uh, bought it, put it in a pub in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And after a few years, decided he wanted to move home to Germany and wanted to sell his, his brewing equipment. So we flew out there, um, decided this is the perfect brewery for our space. And then we dismantled it. We, we uh, contracted with a truck driver and got a 56-foot flatbed and put all the brewing equipment on it. And uh, we got a U-Haul when we were out there and put all the small equipment um, in the U-Haul, and we actually drove it ourselves back 3,100 miles from Virginia Beach, Virginia to Astoria. When we were cruising through Nebraska, we uh, we had a tornado drop down that we actually we watched our brewery in front of us in a U-Haul go through a tornado, and we we thought our brewery was going to be scattered to the cornfields of Nebraska, but we made it through it. Um, a couple of the tanks uh, danced around on the back of a trailer a little bit. We they, they busted some of the straps off. We were able to get under an overpass, strap them back down. Um, but we got that brewery in the back of the building, and it was like, wow, we we went through a tornado with this. We got a we got to name one of our beers Vortex IPA, <laughs> and uh, that was one of the first beers that we we made. And it's just a really it was an incredible story. Yeah. Um, from, from day one to say, Hey, you know, we have, and, and actually two of the 12 systems that were built by John Mallet have had tornadoes drop down on them for, for some reason, the, the, the breweries have turned out. Okay. They've, uh, Weird. so, um, we, uh, we were like right off the bat, we had made this 10 year business plan and we passed our 10 year business plan in two years, mostly because of vortex. Um, hmm. it was just, it was, it was a unique beer. Um, we really wanted to, be just very hop forward uh, with great aromatics, a lot of late addition hopping. And it was just something that was pretty unique in the market at the time when we first released it. And our uh, distributors just like from day one, they, they kept wanting like twice as much every week. Wow. And, uh, and people like our pub just became packed pretty much right off the bat. People coming down wanting um, our beer, but Vortex IPA was definitely the, the thing that set it off. That's right. And are the there and are there in Astoria? I'm just trying to think. I mean, I know there's a few. How many how many microbrew you know brew pubs kind of like 
you guys have going over there now? We've got six, yeah, which six. is quite a bit for a, t- a town of 10,000 people or less than 10,000 people. We have six breweries. Yeah, six breweries. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, it's interesting. And I, and again, the Vortex, you guys sell that in a, uh, it's in a 16 ounce can, right? Or do you also sell it in a 12? Yeah. Nope. We only sell that in a 16 ounce can, four pack and, um, and on draft. Yeah, we've never put it in a 12-ounce can. Oh, and, and okay. And and what was the thinking there on the 12-ounce can? Because coming from me, I actually tend to grab a lot of the, the six-packs. Why why the 16? You know, we felt like um, it was really, you know, when you go to a, a, a brewery, you order up a pint of beer. And we really, we just thought Vortex, we, we, wanted, it, we wanted it in a 16-ounce can. Uh, we wanted it a full pint um, we wanted to stand out, and nobody else at the time was putting their their beers really no craft beer in a sixteen no, ounce a PBR, can. Or you, had the, you had the PBR sixteen at the pound, yeah. all that stuff. All the that's the funny thing is the sixteen is kind of known as the the almost the cheaper, right? You see a lot of those types of beers. Yeah, yep, and there was there was definitely a lot of that. Like right off the bat, we had to um, to to tell to teach people that can cans are actually better for beer. Uh, a lot of people were used to drinking, you know, bad, the cheap beer out of cans. But, um, Astoria is a canning town. And we, uh, as soon as we got to the point where we, we decided to package Vortex and also 1811 lager at the time, 1811 lager was the first beer that we ever canned. Um, oh, okay. shortly was Vortex afterwards. Um, we, we decided right off the bat, we wanted to can beer because Astoria is a canning town and, and canning is what made Astoria. Um, when they figured out how to, so when Astoria was first settled um, back in 1811 uh, by John Jacob Astor's men, um, about six months later, the Brits came over and renamed it Fort George after King George the hmm. Third. Um, there was there wasn't a whole lot to do in Astoria at that point. Um, people kept watching the Native Americans take salmon and and uh, and smoke it, and they were like. The, the way to make money at that time uh, was to basically take something and ship it to New York. And so it's the settlers at the time that they started like trying to take salmon and, and put it in barrels and, and ship it to New York. And it was no good. And I think it was around the 1840s. They figured out how to put salmon in cans and ship it to New York. And it just became a boom town. Um, so that really, is the reason that Astoria is what it is because of cans. So that's we decided we wanted to to can our beer because uh, that's what Astoria is is a canning town and um, sixteen ounce cans just felt right. So that was we we started off all of our beers uh, in sixteen ounce cans for the first couple of years. We did ha- start having more and more requests from our distributors for some twelve ounce six packs, and so we've we've since released a few beers. Um, I, I, there's there's been some push to try to get 12 ounce vortex cans in like a, a 12 pack, um, but I I don't know I kind of I like it in a 16 ounce can. Feels like you're you're going to a pub, and I think a lot of people at the time had had an association with going to a, a brewery and getting a growler of beer, 64 ounces mm-hmm. typically, half gallon of beer, and uh, that is the equivalent of four pints of beer. And um, yeah. so we we just just by starting off with that real small model. I think 60 ounces made more sense to us. That's killer. Yeah, I'm definitely going to grab a, a Vortex uh, later today. I, I forgot to be prepared on this one, but uh, 
So, so and the canning's interesting too because I remember my buddies. You're right. I mean, I remember we were all, all doing our river trips, and it'd be like, okay, we got these cans, and then when the can, the cans of IPA came out. It was just like, man, why did nobody, why were we not doing this like a while back? But when, when you came out with the cans, was that something where there were a number of companies, the micros doing it, or were you kind of early on in that, that canning process? We were very early on in the canning process. I would say like Dale's. Um, yeah, Dale's. was one uh, of the first, the first one, breweries yeah. putting, yep, they got into craft canning. Um, and then Caldera was, was mm-hmm. out there, yep. but there wasn't. There wasn't really too many people doing 16-ounce cans. That's why we wanted to do 16-ounce cans. We just really felt like they stood out. But we were definitely on the uh, the front edge. I think we had really good timing, um, and it was re- it was unique. And I think people and at the time there was not a whole lot of great craft beer in cans, and I think that really helped get us get us noticed. Um, mm-hmm. People don't like taking glass out in their backpacks. They don't like to no. go out on the river. Glass is not good on the, the river. Cans are perfect. They're uh, and we were a really outdoor community, so yeah, having cans is definitely by far superior. It's also so light exposure is one of the worst things oh, for yeah. beer, and that's why at the time a lot of people were. You know, I would ask them, and they they would go, "Why are you guys canning?" And I'd say, "Well, what's what is the best way that you like to have your beer served?" And they like the people say, "On draft." Well, that's in a keg. A keg is a big can. Hmm. So this is like this is like a a nano keg. It's wow. it's the best. We don't have to worry about light exposure. So we have really we have we have strict requirements with our beer. All of our distributors have to take really good great great care of it. Um, uh, but chances are, and we want to keep our beer fresh. But chances are, like our beer is going to be under fluorescent lights for yeah. you know a week or two before a customer picks it up. And so with bottles, that is that's terrible. If you can see through a bottle, light can get through a bottle. Yep. Um, with cans, you, you don't have that problem that, so what happens is basically UV rays, they react with the hop oils and they make it go rancid. So, and also our beers have kind of hops and vortex has a bunch of hops in it. So the more hops, the more hop oils, the more chances of it going, but just having that kind of rancid off flavor yep. that you get from clear bottles. Amazing. Amazing. So, so do you guys, do you guys do bottles at all? We do we do some bottles, but it's mostly uh, specialty projects. Um, it's mostly barrel aged beers. We uh, it's it's February. We're known for Stout Month. Um, oh, yeah. We release a lot of barrel aged beers in in bottles, but it is it's uh, they're they're mostly side projects. They're beers that a lot of them are are going to age really well, and uh, they typically don't have as much hops in them, so they're not going to have as much issues with light exposure i would 99 of our beer comes out in cans gotcha. if it's packaged yeah it comes out in cans exactly no it's cool it's uh, I mean, that was a game changer for sure so and then on the can itself so so you got the uv uv is there so there's no other things comparing glass versus can as far as the the product itself i mean the taste is exactly the same as it would be if it was in a bottle so the other reasons that we like cans are most of our cans are made in Olympia, Washington, and we distribute beer throughout the Pacific Northwest. So we have a truck that goes from Astoria to Kent, Washington to our, to our distributor. And then on the way back in Olympia, we pick up our cans, bring them back and, uh, and use them. So it's, it's just, it's there, there are a lot of, a lot of glasses is, is not locally made. 
Um, mm. A lot of people are buying glass from China, and we don't wow. we don't have that problem. So yeah. uh, cans just make a lot of sense. That's it. That's it. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that, and that's that's awesome. So. So uh, yeah, you you talked a little bit about the Fort George. It sounds like obviously that that's pretty straightforward where that name came from. Um, as far as the beer, maybe we can just talk a little bit about that. As uh, well, one thing I want to note, I want to get into some of your beers other than Vortex because I know you've got a bunch of other yeah. ones. But as far as the brewing process, I know my experience. I it's probably been like ten or fifteen years ago. I brewed. I did kind of like you. I went out and got this. I was like, oh man, I'm going to brew a batch of beer, and I went up to maybe even the same place in Portland, got the stuff went down, made a batch of beer. And I'm not kidding you. And, and to be honest with you, it was, it was really good. And it, it tasted a lot like, remember the old Bridgeport IPA? That, yeah. That old beer. Well, that used to be like one of my favorite beers. And I made this beer and it tasted re- very much like that. Anyways, a long story short, that was the only batch of beer I ever brewed. Right. And it was like, I kind of kick myself now because I, you know I mean? I could be like you having a, <laughs> having a business around it, but maybe describe the process just quickly, you know, don't get into the details, but the brewing for somebody who doesn't know about the brewing process, is it pretty straightforward? Absolutely. And I highly recommend people go out and get the stuff and just try brewing at home. Cause there just really is nothing more rewarding, um, than making your own beer and then serving it to your friends. That's just, yep. that's, that's where I get a lot of my excitement for work is mm. is seeing us brew or brewing a beer and then at the end of the day seeing somebody willing to you know come in and sit down and especially when you get to the point where somebody's willing to spend their hard-earned cash on your beer because they like it so much that is yeah. that's that's a, a huge it is just there's no better feeling for me but to uh to be able to make your own beer it's not hard so um there is home brewing kits that will start you off with an extract. Um, I I do believe that you you can make some good beer with extract. It's a lot more fun when you actually get some nice uh, freshly malted barley. You break the barley and you steep it around. Typically, when you're home brewing, uh, you're going to steep it around 150 degrees for about an hour. And what's what's going on is uh, we take we take barley. Um, we actually we, we buy malted barley. So a malting facility, what they do is they go out and they get green barley and they take that barley and they spray it with a little bit of water. They bring the temperature up and they make it believe it's it's time to sp- it's springtime. It's time to sprout. And uh, they um, will take that that barley that is starting to sprout and then they kiln it and they just stop that germination process. And that is called the malting process. So we get that freshly toasted grain. We take it, we break it and pretty much you just want to break it in half. You want to uh, break the kernel. So you want to expose the insides and you want to spray it with hot water. And what happens is you kind of wake it back up from, and it, it thinks it's, it's germinating again, but there's a, uh, an enzyme in there and the barley reacts with the, the starches and it produces barley sugar. And so you're, you're taking this barley sugar, um, and you or barley sugar water at that, that point is it's called the mash. So you're taking your mash, you run off your barley sugar water into a pot. You want to leave the kernel behind. You don't want the kernel, mm-hmm. um, but you end up with basically what's, what's called wort um after you take your, your barley sugar water you boil it you add hops to it uh, you end up with what's called wort 
It's the German term for unfermented beer. Hmm. You take that wort, you cool it down to around 65, 70 degrees. You add some yeast to it and it ferments. Um, and once it's done fermenting, you end up with beer. Hmm. So um, I, there's a lot of great home brewing shops that mm-hmm. can work people walk people through um i highly recommend trying it out it is a lot easier if you are if you keg your beer your home brewed beer versus oh, okay. actually bottling it it is a fun process to bottle your beer um and bottle condition just washing all the bottles and filling the bottles is is a big process and if you can get to the point where you're actually kegging off your own homebrew yeah um it, you can make it a lot it turns it turns out to be a lot easier that's process. Huge. That's huge. What about, uh, what about canning? Can you actually do cans as a home? You, there are, it's very difficult oh, it to do cans. The, the seam is very difficult to get it just right. So, um, when you're canning, you, you have this can that, that has no lid on it and you drop the lid down and there's, there's a hook basically inside the can that you roll the seam um, of the lid over and it locks that the top on. And that process is very difficult and it's very finicky. Gotcha. So I would not recommend trying to actually can your own beer at home because it's uh, yep. and also when you, the one downside of cans is you have to buy a lot of cans. Nobody, there's not very many people that will sell you just, you know, Oh, the case of cans. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Perfect. Uh, let, let's walk through just, uh, you know, kind of briefly through some of your beers. And and I wanted to note too, you mentioned, so you've got the Fort George and obviously we're still going through COVID. So that's messing things up big time. I know for you guys in the industry, but, um, but hopefully we, we can, you know, we kind of come out of that here this year. And uh, so you got Fort George, the building or, you know, that your flagship and then the stuff on the water. So you're going to have a whole new area where people can go drink. Is that the case? Or is that just going to be a bottling place or? Canning. So we got really fortunate that um, about a year ago. So Astoria is is really the it's the canning capital of the West Coast. Oh, wow. um, there was actually the biggest biggest most successful canning operation uh, was here uh, down on the waterfront up until the mid 1980s, and it was called the Elmore Cannery. They were so successful at harvesting and canning salmon and tuna that the American Can Company actually decided to build a facility right next to the, the cannery to just punch cans because they couldn't send cans out here quick enough. And so there's this really cool building on the waterfront. It's pretty big. It was built in the 60s. Um, and it's got just crazy reinforced concrete floors. And it um, we, we never had the luxury downtown of having like a loading dock or – really enough enough space to work in and a couple of years ago actually o- over the over the years um what happened is uh in the mid 80s um bumblebee tuna yep. that was down here uh sold and they moved their operations out of town and in like the late 80s the elmore cannery everything that was over the waterfront burned down but this old building for the american can company remained there and another company came in and just started the the operation of just labeling salmon cans and they operated in this building for about 30 years and they just finally decided uh it made more sense to move their operation to kent washington because the barges with the salmon cans were coming into kent they were driving them all the way out to astoria 
and then back up to, to Kent to put them back on barges. And so, um, I had always, I actually, when I made coffee and I was giving away my homebrew, it was actually across the street from here. Um, I'd always thought that would be kind of a dream facility to have a production brewery, um, out of, because it's got some loading docks, it's got storage, it's got all the things that we've, we've always kind of struggled with being downtown and constricted in an old Chevy dealership. And so, um, it came out on the market and we were able to purchase it and we are re- redeveloping it right now. We, uh, you, you spoke about Bridgeport mm-hmm. being one of your, your favorite IPAs. Um, Bridgeport went out of business. We actually, um, we, we purchased up their brew house oh, wow. and we have, we've put it down here on the waterfront. It was, uh, it was kind of, it was an, an auction and it was kind of a fire sale and we just really couldn't turn down purchasing it uh we we bought it and we we placed it down here in this uh old american can company building and we are now brewing on it and canning down here uh just today um it's the first day where we are canning vortex on the waterfront that's cool it's a really cool spot um it's it's like there's uh, about five acres down here and at some point um when we're allowed to we do want to have a tap room down here on the waterfront uh and and we're hoping to try to get something together this this year so at least somebody could enjoy a pint outside yeah down here on the waterfront that's it that's it and for people that don't know you know we've got people all around the world that listen that are going to be listening to this and you know it's really a unique place astoria you bet you mentioned it a lot but i mean it's the mouth essentially the mouth of the biggest river in our you know uh in the northwest right so it's this conflict yeah. into, into the columbia ocean into the ocean You're, you you guys are like literally right there and you've got this this massive bridge that kind of comes over you know the city and it's just this and it's a fishing right i mean it, the whole city was built on fishing it's a it's amazing fishing. right historically yeah. it's a fishing yes yeah, an incredible place uh the the river is almost five miles wide here it's Jeez. um we've got the the megler bridge uh really incredible bridge you can cross i I, w- I definitely contribute a lot of our success to just being in a really gorgeous town it yeah. is a beautiful place where it's the very northwest tip of oregon um also we have really great water here it's all rainwater. it's super soft uh it's kind of as a brewer it it's like the absolute perfect i would say i say like clean slate to start off with you can add some salts to it if you want some harder water but it's just incredible soft water. It's very similar to like the, the town of Pilsen in the Czech Republic where they make incredible Pilsners. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And I think that's why like also Bowie's done really well down here as, as a brewery. And I think a lot of it has to do with our, our location and huh. our water. Well, what I, what I love about it, it um, yeah, I totally forgot that Bowie was there too, but um, you know, I mean the town itself, right? Because you mentioned Bills, you got Cannon Beach, you got, um, you know, Pacific City, you got uh, some big, you know, I can't, the, the company down there. Um, but Astoria is this... Wor- Pel- yeah, Pelican. Yeah, Pelican. You know, you got the Pelican, Pelican. but mm-hmm. you got the... Uh, Astoria is really this working man's town, right? I mean, Cannon Beach is kind of this, is known as like all the people with their second homes. You know, it, yeah. it's just a totally different town. And the experience when I go to Astoria, if I had to choose a town to go to, you know, it's Astoria before any of those other places, right? And, and I mean, did you guys think about that when you were, well, I guess you were already working there, so you knew about Astoria pretty well. You know, ab- absolutely. I grew up in Astoria. Oh, okay. And it's, gotcha. it's always been this thing. Um, 
uh, it's a blue collar like working man's town. It is we we don't we don't have kind of the beach gift shops. Um, nope. I, I what's really nice is we we have a super low second home ownership rate. All the other coastal communities, people, there's a lot of lights off in the uh, communities in the wintertime where there's yep. an Astoria people here are here year round. All so right. we have this really incredible local year round uh, population. That's so huge. yeah, it definitely is a lot different than Seaside or Cannon Beach. They're, Seaside and Cannon Beach are beautiful beach towns. Yep. Um, a lot of, a lot of tourists go down there. If somebody wants just a really incredible walk on the Columbia River um, and they want more of a year-round kind of locals community, visit Astoria. Yeah, I, I prefer it up here. This is a it's a great place to live. Yep, and it's a great place to visit. That's cool. Well, as we t- as we take it out of here, Chris, let's uh, just talk about uh, you know you mentioned Vortex. Name some of your other big uh, popular beers you guys have going, and maybe also talk about if you have anything new coming up in the next uh, year. So we are all about collaborating with other breweries. Um, three-way IPA is it's different every year. Every year we um, we kind of think about two other breweries that are just really innovating IPAs and making incredible beer. And also people we just really want to hang out with because when we do the three-way project, it's kind of a year-long project of development where we go out, we talk to a couple other breweries that we want to work with, um, sign them up for three-way IPA that year, and then we do several of these beta batches where um, we're just really trying to push the limit on what what people believe is kind of the ideal IPA and what what these breweries want to be drinking for the year. And so we develop a recipe, make a bunch of these beta IPA batches, and then when everybody's really, really happy and says, this is it, this is perfect, then we come up with a can design and we release it, uh, typically in late May, early June. Uh, so that is an incredible beer of the summertime. Um, we've got a couple other IPAs that we can. You were you were talking about twelve ounce six pack. Mm-hmm. Suicide Squeeze is a right. collaboration with a Seattle record label. Really cool can. Super unique because the a lot of people don't know this, but the snake on it um, actually changes color. Uh, we we like that beer to be stored cold. Mm-hmm. It looks like the snake is alive when it's cold, and when that beer gets when that can gets warm it kind of looks like the uh the, the green on the snake no turns kidding. to yellow and it basically looks like the uh, the snake is kind of dead um it's it's stout month so i have to talk about cavatica stout cavatica is latin for a deep dark place like a cave but it's also um if you've ever read charlotte's web uh, charlotte a cavatica is the the main main spider's name and uh it's the it is the name for a a, a common brown garden spider cavatica and spiders and breweries have a long going symbiotic relationship. Like in Belgium, they, they say you just, you never kill a spider in your brewery hmm. because they'll keep your, your beer from having like fruit fly infestations right. and bug infestations. There so there's, there's kind of this romantic, uh, <laughs> vision of, of breweries and spiders. Um, but you know, we, we're always trying to push the envelope. We're, we're never even vortex is always evolving. It is, and I think that that is a lot of the the success over the years. Is it's not the same beer that we originally produced. Um, we're always evolving it and always trying to make it better every batch. Hmm. On the vortex, how do you? Um, I mean, like evolve it. So I mean, do people? I guess you would. People most people don't notice it when they pick up a can, like whether it's right now versus say six months ago. Yeah, it's a very slow evolution, but. 
um, like we're, you know, we're always collaborating with other breweries and always trying to, to, to learn. There's definitely a difference in taste. You know, I, 12 years ago or 13 years ago, when we started, I would say like Pacific Northwest IPA was much more malty, much less aromatic hops, yeah. maybe a little bit more bitter. And as it's changed over the years, people are wanting more of a, a light colored, like straw colored IPA and a lot more aromatics. That's so right. What we do is we do a lot less early hop additions um, on our, our boil, a ton of late hop additions on our boil. Oh. Um, so I would say that's how, how IPAs have really evolved over the last 13 years. And when we first came out, you know, it was really, it was kind of a, a hazy IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people wanted a really, really clear IPA. So it got kind of a little bit clearer over the years, although We've never filtered our IPAs. We've mm-hmm. never filtered any of our beers. We, d- we don't really believe in it. Um, but now people are coming back around to hazy IPAs. It's really interesting. And That's now right. there's kind of this split. Uh, there's a split audience where some people are really purists and they just think hazy IPAs are you know just lame. And, <laughs> but other people like ha- hazy IPAs are incredibly popular. Um, yeah. Before COVID, when it was okay to have people line up, man. You uh, release a innovative, new, cool, hazy IPA, and you'd have people line up for two blocks to no get kidding. it. Um, oh yeah, That's yeah, definitely. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. Uh, so yeah, I, I, like I said earlier, I, I like all IPAs, but yeah, hazy isn't my first choice. I, I kind of like the. I mean, is the vortex is more your standard, just hoppy? Would you call it just your hoppy IPA? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a West Coast IPA. Yeah, definitely. West Coast. It is. Uh, it's it's not it's not a hazy IPA no. for sure. Well, like three way the last couple of years, last few years, people have really wanted it hazy because it's uh, it's innovative and new. Yeah, cool. All right, Chris. Hey, what about a resource? Just one resource as far as if somebody wanted to l- either learn more kind of about the pro- this brewing process or just beers in general. Would you like? Is there like um, I don't know, like books, magazines, uh, podcast videos, anything you'd recommend? Um, there's all sorts of great podcasts. Oh, there on are beer, craft beer, and brew. Um, Craft Beer and Brewing is, I would say, probably uh, a th- the thing that I listen to the most. Oh, awesome. Good Beer Hunting is great. Um, go to our website, fortgeorgebrewery.com, and yep. uh, you can learn about our beers. And I, the number one thing is I'm really hoping this summer people can come out and visit us again and have a pint and uh, talk to your bartender. Your bartender can't wait to talk to you about beer again. Nice. We can't oh, wait yeah. to get our, our pubs up and open. and. Yeah. Uh, get out and enjoy seeing people again yeah we're we're excited man i can't wait till it happens i'll definitely be up there and yeah man we haven't actually met in person uh so this will be fun eventually when i'll go celebrate with you up there on a beer when you guys you know everything gets back to a little more normal um that'll be fun sounds good and i i I can't i want to uh learn more about fly fishing my my dad growing up um was was really into tying his own flies he's really into it i've I've been kind of a workaholic for the last uh, you know, 14 years now we've got to go out and do much but i'm looking forward to getting back into playing there you point. go well we got uh, yeah we got the resource for that for sure we've uh, got we're coming up on 200 episodes now and most of them are focused on uh you know teaching people about fly fishing so um so yeah man and, and obviously fly fishing and beer go hand in hand so this is going to be uh we're going to send some people your way for sure do you guys deliver um so you know like i said we have people all over the place do you deliver across the country or the world 
So right now is it is unique. Um, we are shipping beer out direct all over Oregon and Washington, which is uh, it's a first. We've always um, just just sold to uh, distributors, bars, restaurants. Um, but uh, right now you can have our beer shipped to you in Oregon and Washington. Um, but really, my my request is to uh, go to your local retailer and ask them to put Fort George on tap or. Uh, or, or you know, go go check your your local grocery store and, and ask them if they're 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 selling any Fort George beer. Uh, yeah. We are distributed all over Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and we really like being a regional brewery. So that's kind of our region. Uh, there is some websites out there like Tavor that um, they they ship out our beer occasionally to uh, other states. We really we really like keeping our beer close though mm-hmm. for the most part, and uh, we're just kind of we, we really want people to come out to, to Pacific Oregon. Northwest Pacific and. Northwest. and Oregon and, and Astoria and yeah. enjoy it. We want to be a destination brewery. That's cool. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really unique again, like the fly fishing and beer, the more I think about it, the more it overlaps because you know, our local fly shops, it's the same thing. You know, we, we try to, but you could go buy everything online. You can go to Amazon and get whatever you need, but everybody in the business and fly fishing says, you know what, I've got this product, go to your local fly shop and ask them to, to you know, to sell it. Right. Because local, it's all about local. And it sounds like with beer, it's the same thing. Absolutely. Craft beer is all about local and supporting your, your local bar and, uh, your local bar needs you more, more now than ever. That's awesome. Hey, one, one quick, just before we get here, Chris, I know we're pushing, I just, I had a question, um, just on the Bridgeport, uh, the Widmere, all these huge companies, obviously you guys are doing well. What, what's your take on that when you see these like Bridgeport, I think they went out of business, right? I mean, what, kind of, is that something that you just is part of the game or, or what, what's your take on all that? You know, there's kind of, there has been this life cycle. Um, most of these breweries that are going out of business are not independent. They oh, are, they're gotcha. owned by yeah. a big like investment yeah, group. Anheuser-Busch and I think, like that. yeah. And, and I think they just lose some soul. They don't, they don't have somebody that, you know, when you sit down at their bars or their yeah. restaurants, um, talk and talk when you, when you talk to them about either like why you like their beer or, you know that you're not really going to get much change and it doesn't really feel it's just not local yeah, and yeah. um you know we're we're completely independent we don't we do what we want to do we're not trying to cut corners it is all about the beer here That's i mean amazing. we want to make if if we're making the best beer we and and doing what believe is what we believe is right we believe we will be successful if we are day one we've been wanting to create a place where people want to work at and if you're great to your employees they'll be great to you yeah. and they'll make great beer and you'll t- you'll taste it and i think a lot of those places that have gone out of business unfortunately i don't think that their employees really loved working there anymore and um you take you taste it in the beer yeah, no, I was just going to say that's what I remember because I remember Bridgeport. I always loved it, but eventually I remember drinking a bottle. I was like, this doesn't taste like the Bridgeport I remember. You know what I mean? I remember when that happened. I was like, yeah. geez, some, they did, definitely changed something. So, no, hey, I appreciate that. I think that's something I had been thinking about. And, uh, Chris, uh, I guess if everybody wants to uh, connect with you, just fortgeorgebrewery.com. Yeah, yeah, just go to the website, um, beer at fortgeorgebrewery.com dot com ends up i can end up making it my way um please go to go to our website and check it out or uh we or follow us on instagram or facebook yeah and Perfect. number one just come on out to astoria enjoy astoria it's uh it's, it's 
way bigger than even Fort George. It's a yeah. great town. We're gonna we're gonna send some people your, your way, and we'll make sure they uh, whoever is listening mentioned the Wet Fly Swing podcast as well, to, so they could know where where they came from. But uh, hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been a lot of fun. I uh, definitely a unique episode. I think a lot of people are gonna really love this one. So uh, thanks for taking the time, and we'll keep in touch with you. Thank you, Dave. Talk to you soon. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the uh, links we covered today, go to wetflyswing.com slash 205. If you can, head over to uh, club, uh, wetflyswing.com slash clubhouse and catch our next live podcast. We're doing some new stuff here, um, testing out the clubhouse app, which is definitely starting um, on the slow end as far as the fly fishing space. But if you want to get in and check us out, um, I can uh, probably invite you. It's on invite only. There's ways to get in. So, um, And if this is uh, six months from right now as I'm speaking, you can just join. I think you'll be able to just join in and listen up. So we're kind of preparing for that big uh, worldwide launch and just kind of testing out the ground. So, in fact, I'm getting on here in about 25 minutes to do a live episode. Um, again, I'm talking in the, uh, in the past, so, so that might be whacked out as you're hearing this. Um, just want to touch base on today's episode. Uh, if you're still listening, you know, I know beer may not be, uh, maybe, maybe it does resonate with you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but I think the craft brewing, uh, series and just craft brewing is pretty amazing. It's a lot like fly shops and that local thing. And, and I really enjoy a nice IPA. So I'm just trying to stretch the podcast a bit, which I think will allow us to grow, uh, in the long term And, I don't know if you can imagine the Wet Fly Swing podcast becoming something a little more maybe bigger mainstream than just fly fishing. Uh, is it a bad thing? Is that good or bad? Definitely send me a message. Uh, let me know. Would you still listen if we had, you know, instead of each week having necessarily a fly fishing topic? Uh, we probably will still do lots of that. But what if we had like this, you know, beer topic, uh, coffee, uh, you name it, whatever you're interested in. And what are you interested in? What's your favorite thing that other than fly fishing that you do, um, send me an email or DM. Let me know. I'd love to hear. I'm not saying that we're going there right now, obviously. I'm not saying that we'll ever go there. Um, I think where we're at is pretty amazing, and we're going to keep doing that. But I'm just curious because I enjoy interviewing a ton of people. Like pretty much, I have all the interviews. I'm sure I've probably done now 300, and there is not one I remember that was that was not super enjoyable. So I, I think I just love learning. And just like today, we got one coming up where I'm not sure how it's going to go, but we're just going to jump into it and it's going to be live. So if you want to answer, a, ask a question, you can raise your hand. We can bring you up on the stage. And eventually I can just see that where we have, you know, some of these big guests, you know, you name the person you'd love to talk to and we can just bring you up on stage and talk to that person, ask a question. That's, that's the power of Clubhouse. You can connect uh, easily on your phone. You can be doing anything you want, just like a normal podcast, be listening in the back while nobody hears you. Um, but if you want to raise your hand, you can come up on stage and instantly the world can hear you. So it's it's pretty powerful, pretty cool stuff. I'm loving it just because obviously the podcast space, it's very similar to that. I love the podcast. So I'm trying to just test out some new stuff. If you don't have an iPhone right now and you can't get in, um, I'm sorry about that. I will definitely... Uh, get you in um, later when we jump on and I just just trying to test this thing out in beta mode so anyways thanks for listening to the the ramble I hope there's a good episode that you have coming up next 
uh, in your podcast queue. Um, I'm not sure what I have, what I'm excited for, but I know there's always one or, or 50 that I'm ready to listen to. Um, so anyways, uh, thanks again. This is Dave, Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Appreciate your support. I uh, appreciate you listening in on this little late, uh, not late night, early morning ramble. Uh, have a good one. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.